Welcome to the Farsighted Creative Podcast, where we have discussions with creatives and forward thinkers about the creative process, inspiration, and ways that we can all put more good into the world. All right, this is rolling. Rolling, rolling on the roof. Uh, sorry. We're uh, keeping that in. Oh, no. Welcome back to the Farsighted Podcast, everyone. <laughs> oh, uh, just your average day. Just your average day. We have a really exciting combo today mm-hmm. that I just completely enjoyed yeah Um, so we're really excited to share it with you um in honor of black history month we wanted to explore the intersection of race and media as independent content creators we were really honored to speak with someone who we feel like is an expert in that field her name is benita c rodman jenkins and she is a director of the spiker Rubin Women's Center for Equity and Diversity at New Jersey City University. And she teaches a class on race, gender, and the media at Syracuse University. As a minister, educator, and advocate for many years, she is committed to creating affirming and brave spaces to those who have been oppressed. Her desire is to persist until all people are seen, heard, and free. We loved our convo with her, and we hope you find it as thought-provoking and inspiring as we did. Thanks so much just for taking the time to chat with us. It's really nice to be here. We wanted to start off just with hearing more about your background and specifically your it's a race, gender, and the media class that you teach at New Jersey City University. I think we would both like take that class if we saw it listed. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so love to hear more about like how you got into that field, um, what intrigued you about that field, and even if we were students in your class, what can we expect to learn? Sure. Uh, So it's actually the race, gender, and the media class at Newhouse uh, NYC, which is the School of Communications at Syracuse University. So I actually adjunct and I teach there one night a week. So day to day, but it's all connected to everything that I do. I actually am the director for the Spiker Rubin Women's Center for Equity and Diversity at New Jersey City University. So I started teaching at Newhouse last semester. I will tell you that I initially got involved with um, the field of communications uh, some years ago when I was an associate editor for a travel trade publication called Travel Weekly. Um, It was an awesome opportunity to edit, to write, and also to travel to exciting destinations in the Caribbean. And and I also enjoy public speaking. So that's been a part of my life uh, for practically all of my life. However, uh, the desire to teach uh, came quite recently. However, I've been, I had been noticing various things as it related to the media and the representation of people of color in the media, the representation of women in the media, how we're portrayed. Um, So these are the types of things that we talk about um, in my class. One of the things that I initially try to do because we're dealing with very critical, very sensitive topics is to create a safe and brave space. I know oftentimes we hear like a lot about safe spaces. And one of the things I share with my students is that I can never really guarantee safe space, right? Because people in the learning experience might say something that might offend someone um, that, you know, they might not have known about. So 
we try to promote a brave space. And this is a space where people feel comfortable sharing their perspectives and opinions and their viewpoints. So, you know, I talk about safe and brave space and we talk a lot about uh, intersectionality and that's understanding our social identities and our points of oppression and how uh, various points of oppression intersect. And we certainly talk about advantages as well and those points of privilege. And because this is a topic that not many people have been talking about, I try to be as patient as possible. And I encourage our class to be patient and kind with each other as we go through the process together of learning and gaining an understanding. Um, But I challenge them. I get them to think about what they are doing now in terms of their media consumption, in terms of their media production, and the types of things that they can do in their internships and then as they move forward in their careers. I get them to think about who's in the room and who's not in the room and how can you tell stories that would appropriately reflect um, an individual or a particular group and how can we minimize stereotypes. So those are some of the things that we talk about in our class. We want to take your class tomorrow. (laughs) I would would love for you to take my class. You know, I had a student that stayed after last Wednesday and he said that um, he's like, look, I'm a white guy from the suburbs. Um, he's like, I'm from this particular area. And he said, we don't have conversations like this. He's like, I can't tell you how much I'm enjoying this class. And he said, I want all my friends to take the class. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Cause it sounds like you're, I love the context you framed it in so far as brave conversations because yes. it, it acknowledges that they are uncomfortable, that it's not necessarily going to be easy, but we can all choose to be brave and it kind of makes a really inviting way to look at it and inevitably right. creates that safe space. So that's right. Love everything that's very much what we're about, like wanting to highlight those things in a safe environment. So mm-hmm. sounds amazing. Yeah. You hear about safe space a lot, but you don't hear about brave space a lot. Mm-hmm. And I like having both of those things together. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, you know, we talk about the conversations being courageous as well, as opposed to having difficult conversations. Sometimes that makes people feel uncomfortable. But if you say, hey, we're just having a courageous conversation, that helps. Something came up just as we were talking about sharing last week where someone really shared something. They were really transparent. Um, It was very, very moving. And I invited the class to sit with it and to think about what they heard, and then now think about that when they move forward into their jobs and their careers, right? I encourage them. I said, hey, I want you to remember her story. So when people aren't thinking about this individual who is always feeling excluded and always feeling left out and always feeling like her particular group is left on the margins, please remember this story. This is your classmate. We're in community together. When you move forward to your positions of power, remember stories like this when you consider who's in the room and who's not in the room. This is a real person. You are hearing her lived experience. So I challenge them to think about things like that. That's so great. That's such a beautiful way to cultivate empathy 
for us, like as content creators, like at Farsighted, that's one of the big things we want to do is create, like telling the, hearing stories is such a great way to cultivate empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that. And, and for us, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to chat with you is specifically coming from, you know, independent filmmakers or content creators. How can we take what you're teaching and apply that to what we're putting out into the culture? And I know that you said um, there was an article um, for Syracuse University where you said it's important to recognize our own points of privilege and uh, points of oppression. And before we can look out, we need to look inward. Yeah. So yeah. kind of how can content creators, you know, such as ourselves, like, what does that look like to look inward? Yeah, I think that it connects a lot with your personal experiences and thinking about how your experiences are one part of the world and acknowledging that there are a lot of other people with a lot of different stories. So as content creators, you know, you have a portion of the experiences because it's your, what, what you've been confronted with. Um, however, when you look inward, it's, it's humbling because then you realize, well, I don't, I don't know everything. My experiences are limited. Mm-hmm. I should maybe bring in some other people to um, have some other voices about said topic. Maybe even, you know, as much as you might want to do something, And you might want to be sort of the storyteller, maybe bringing someone else in who has actually had that experience where you're not telling a tale about, you're actually inviting someone in to tell their own tale about the subject matter that you want to convey and that you want to share. So I think looking in is, you know, just being probably, in my opinion, honest with yourself and knowing that you don't know it all. None of us do. And then thinking about, you know, your mm-hmm. points of privilege, access, all of those things, and then flipping it and trying to understand who hasn't. We had a training today. I'm, I'm thinking about um, with professors, right? So I wasn't there for the whole training. I introduced it. And then two of my trainers actually conducted it. So afterwards, we all talked about it. And they said, you know, they were processing with me and they said, wow, you know, the professors were really just having a tough time being in the space of not knowing, you know, and they had two other people Mm. that were there that were not professors. um, But it seemed like it was hard for them at certain points to look inward and to sit with themselves. Finally, one of them said, you know what, I'm having a tough time not knowing. Like I'm struggling with like not knowing. And I think that when you look within and when you're honest with yourself, you're not always going to know. You're not always going to have the answers, even though you think you might from time to time. So I hope that you're understanding that perspective as as it relates to turning inward, because I feel like there's so many different ways to turn inward. I was trying to connect it to you all as content creators. And I feel like just being open, knowing yourself, and then trying to um, learn more about others is important. Yeah, I feel like that's a really, really helpful perspective because it requires you to just acknowledge, like you said, what you don't know. And I think that is really hard for people to do. But when you present it in a way of 
just the reality that if you do that, then you actually tell more honest stories, you tell more real stories because you're inviting other people in, which kind of brings me to our next question. You talked in another interview about the danger of the single story. And especially when it comes to people of color in the media, there's usually one story told and it's often a negative one. So as content creators in that light, how can we tell more positive stories about people of color? And and even as we invite people in, like, what are some dispositions we can take as we want to address and kind of combat the single story? Yeah. So the single story is something that I learned about through a TED Talk from a Nigerian novelist. I don't want to um, mispronounce her name, but Chimimanda. Ngozi Adichie. She gives a phenomenal TED Talk about, you know, how harmful it is when we only know one thing about a particular individual or group. And one of the things that I talk to my students about is exploring stories about underserved individuals. And first and foremost, talk about the story that you typically hear, right? And if it's a person covering something on their own group, it could be painful, right? Because now you're you're bringing up all of the stereotypes and everything. But before I feel we can move to a place of telling a different story, let's just be honest and real and talk about the, the story that is typically told. And then what can you do to rewrite it? And that comes with engaging with folks within that community who um, want to share their experiences. And I think that the com- being able to communicate is one way that you can go about it, talking to those individuals, doing research. So that's what I al- allow my students to do or have them do for their final project. Oh, very cool. They came up with some phenomenal stories. So I have them share Uh, a story about or stories about a particular group who we might not hear a lot about, right? So one group did something on formerly incarcerated individuals. Another group uh, talked about individuals with Down syndrome and this whole phenomena of inviting them to the prom. And um, they unpacked that though, and they talked about um, while it is certainly cool, like some of the issues that, you know, are that come with that. Some of them talked about women in politics. Another group talked about uh, the way gay white men are typically portrayed in the media. And it was really, really interesting. And so, yeah, I think that being open and talking to people and, you know, hearing from them and their perspectives and, you know, all of that could really make a difference. Yeah. It's so interesting to hear you talk just from having gone to film school and taking writing classes. You know, the first thing they say is write what you know. And it's such like what you're talking about is such a 180 of this awareness of what do I don't know? What do I what do I need to reach out and learn? Yeah. And, you know, I feel like everybody comes to like a script or a story. It's like I have a story to tell. Mm-hmm. And they're not, you know, aware of the bias in that or the representation in that. Mm. 
Yeah, exactly. Like there's a particular commercial. Like I encourage my students. I said, hey, let's it's important to be critical thinkers. And there's a particular commercial, right? As you talk about like the story and they go through a severe commercial and they they tell the story. And in one particular, there's like a whole series. They they mention, oh, well, this person's mother was an immigrant of three children. And then the next line says, and he came from nowhere. So I talked to my students about this, right? And I said, so so they're talking about this story of someone who is an overcomer and, you know, came from uh, a poverty-stricken place, but now they've received great fame and fortune and, you know, people know their name. However, did they really come from nowhere? Because you just said that they came from a mom who was an immigrant who raised, a single mom who raised three children, right? So the students were able to unpack that. And I'm like, listen to this story. It's all around you. We we hear this all around. And every right. time I hear that commercial, it bothers me. <laughs> and I told my class, yeah. I said, you're going to be bothered now because I'm trying to stir something in you so that you can be critical consumers, you can be critical producers, and you're not always going to feel good. You know, we're trying to get to the place of feeling good, but we're not always going to feel good as we hear things and we see like how damaging it can be. And we do bring in, I bring in a psychologist to talk to them as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. And she talks about the impact of sexism, the impact of racism and and what that does to our bodies and to our minds, just so they can see like, well, we're, we're, we're not just doing this because it's the right thing to do. Yes, we're doing it because it's the right thing to do. But, you know, we're trying to minimize harm here. We're trying to min- we're trying to save lives, yeah, sure. you know, so. I'm curious, too, because um, we've had a lot of experience dealing with like sexism that we see in like representation of women and that sort of thing. And I love using like the Bechtel test or like my favorite is the sexy lamp test and like all that stuff. Is there some sort of like scale that can be used for race? Interesting. I'm not really sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. One, but I, it's such be. a, it's such a great tool. Like when I have, you know, when, I re- I read scripts written by men and I say, how about your female characters? You know, and we're sitting here kind of like, we want to be more educated about race in, in that same kind of way. Right. Yeah. You know, that's a great question. Um, and I go, while I don't know the answer, I go right to, and I mentioned it earlier, um, a famous black director. Ah, I can't think of her name. I watched a video and she was in it and they were talking about representation. And she said, just pay attention to who's in the room, Mm. you know, and, and that's what you can do as it relates to race, you know, um, who's in the story, who's in the room. And I don't know of a scale, but I think that, you know, just thinking about who is there and who is not there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you're saying, Oh, you know, it's, folks who are white, you know, how do we pay attention to that? I think when we're intentional, we can, mm-hmm. right? Because, um, you know, I think about the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, I'm an ally and supporter of that community. 
Um, I run a program in my school to create inclusive spaces, even though I'm not a member of the community. So I do the work in partnership with folks in the community. So it helps when you can do the work alongside people of color, because talking to them, hearing from them will help as you move forward. So for instance, we had a program, right? And we're so excited and we were putting our program together. It was for LGBTQ celebration and inclusion. And we're just there. (laughs) Finally, one of my colleagues said, okay, I'm sorry. She said, all of the allies just need to have a seat. She's like, you all just need to have a seat because she's like, there's no one who identifies who's on the program. And we're like, okay. Oh, wow. We're like, uh-huh. yeah. thank yeah. you for that. And we will sit down right now. <laughs> Had she not been in the room, it would have gone over our heads, right? Mm-hmm. Because we work in partnership with the community. And even as the coordinator of the program, I have to, right? Because I need people to remind me of things like that, right? So mm-hmm. I had a white group on campus who wants to work towards gender, uh, racial inequities. They approached, um, for all intents and purposes, one of the Black groups. <laughs> and they said, hey, mm-hmm. we want to partner with you. And I said, cool. You know, well, here are our goals. And um and let's see what comes of it. I mean, it's it's something that's new. Uh, we haven't had anything like this before. The group has been around for a while, but we're excited about the opportunity to partner and work together because we need them to be in certain spaces where people won't listen to us. Yeah, I love that idea of collaboration too mm-hmm. and just getting in the same room. Mm-hmm. Thinking about you know, my passion is writing specifically like narrative feature films. And on one hand, you know, there's a lot of stories that I can't write that I would need to collaborate with some people about to really tell these stories. On the other hand, I'm curious what you think about colorblind casting, about just casting diverse people in in roles. You know, for example, like I I did a romantic comedy where it was a, a series where it was a girl who was dating a new guy each each episode. And I was telling the producer, I was like, the last thing I want is for her to just date a bunch of white guys. Like, can we bring mm. in some, you know, even just, you know, any people of color. And we had one um, guy who put, he said, it was so great to be a romantic interest and not, you know, he, w- he was Asian. And he said, I'm so glad I'm not the doctor this week or the stereotype. He's like, I love just being a romantic interest. So I'm curious kind of that dichotomy of like, you know, if I sit down to write stories with people that where I want to cast people of color, how do I go about, you know, being true to that story, but also, you know, just wanting to cast more people, giving them more exposure and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I feel like it would depend on the person because Mm -hmm. I feel like if you're saying that you don't want a bunch of white guys, then you're going to open it up for, you know, a casting call for all types. And then people can try to audition, you know, for the particular role because they're going to see the script and they're going to see what it's about. And they're, if they're a person of color, they might see it as refreshing because the focus is on the relationship. And certainly in a relationship, culture comes up, backgrounds come up 
personal experiences come up. However, it's not that stereotypical situation. So if the person is open for it, then, hey, you know, they'll go for it. Um, And they might have the experience like the Indian person who said, yes, I'm not the doctor this week. I just want to be a love interest. Mm -hmm. So I think that I think that's a cool approach. I haven't heard the terminology colorblind casting. I, I haven't heard that terminology. But I think that if people are open to, you know, auditioning for roles that they feel that, you know, they would feel comfortable in. I think it's good. I think it's a. I think it's something mm-hmm. good to do. I think it's important to do, and um, it helps people to see people in different stories. Yeah, I, I feel like one of the big takeaways I'm hearing a lot in our conversation is this idea of just being open and collaborating and welcoming those people in, whether mm-hmm. it's into just here's just a role that we want to include you in. But even particularly when it comes to roles that or stories that we need insight on, we need that outside insight. And one of the things I'd love to hear you talk about is cultural humility um, and the difference between cultural humility and what you call um, cultural competency. Because it feels kind of like the foundation and cornerstone of all that you're talking about in your philosophy. So can you kind of unpack that and what sort of defines cultural humility, especially as it comes to content creators? Sure. First off, I love your work. Listen to your podcast. I think you all are great. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I wanted to say that at the beginning. I forgot. But anyway. We'll take it. Yes. (laughs) Um, So the uh, women who coined the term term cultural humility are uh, Melanie Turvalon and Jan Mary Garcia. healthcare professionals who came up with this terminology, they're women of color as well. So I wanted to um, highlight that. And it's funny because I was just thinking about the difference, right? So with cultural competence, it's sort of this idea that someone from one culture can learn everything there is to know about someone else's culture, Mm -hmm. right? And it's sort of like, Mm -hmm. you learned it, you've arrived and you're good. With cultural humility, it's practicing lifelong learning, right? It's understanding that there's self-reflection involved, there's co-learning involved, and you, you never quite arrive. You know, there's always this striving to understand, to learn more, Right. I am in a place of cultural humility as it relates relates to learning more about um, immigrant communities, as it relates to learning more about LGBTQIA plus communities. Right. So a book might tell me one thing. Right. That's cultural competence. So you can look in the book and say, well, it says this about, you know, Latinx women. However, cultural humility connects more with their lived experiences. So mm-hmm. since y'all are creative, sometimes my my mind goes to creativity. And I thought about cultural humility is like getting to know you, getting to know all about yeah. you. Yes. That's cultural humility. Mm. Cultural competence is if you don't know me by now, you will never, ever, ever know 
you know, so it's this like, well, if you don't know me by now, like you got to know me. Right. So I just wanted to have fun with that since y'all are creatives. (laughs) That's where my mind went. You got a beautiful voice. Thank you. (laughs) And so do you, Brittany. I heard you sing. So that's what came up for me. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. So, So that's the difference. Another example, the textbook has said, and I've learned that Black women and Latinx women and other and indigenous women, other women of color can take the pain, right? Um, They can tolerate pain more than white women. And then you have a a, a lived experience. You're you're able to talk to someone. You're able to learn more that this is simply not true. Mm -hmm. That's a myth, Mm -hmm. you know, so. It's constantly learning and not just depending on that one training, that one workshop where we just think we're good. We have it. So, and it breaks down the humility piece is a, is a concept that breaks down hierarchies Yeah. as well. So it's, it's co-learning. You know, it's me sitting in a room with students, staff, and faculty with consultants, real story, and they ask a question about students and like some of my colleagues start to answer. And I'm like, what's happening here? Because we have students here and we need the students to have a voice because we can learn from our students. So it's it's just paying attention, right, to our power, whatever that power looks like. What I love about that is... I feel like it brings the focus back to relationship and connection with real people and that it's good to get training and to learn and to read books, but probably maybe more effective is there's actually a real person that you can talk Mm -hmm. to. And really it challenges me to think about my own life and my own physical community Mm -hmm. and to step out and be social and open myself up to that because that will provide a measure of education and an opportunity to grow in humility in a way that a book may not um, because you're dealing with a real person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you, One of the things I heard you talk about too was institutional accountability as it relates to cultural humility. And I, I kind of lit up when I heard you first talk about that because thinking about filmmaking and just the media in general, especially independent filmmakers were telling stories and wanting to incorporate that institutional accountability for ourselves and colleagues. Like how can we start to incorporate that as independent filmmakers? Great question. I'll start with thinking about, yeah, I mean, you're in a powerful position, you know, as filmmakers, as content creators, I love the fact that you're thinking about being accountable to yourselves and to each other. And I feel like that's the first step because oftentimes folks who are not represented are the ones who are being proactive and are taking the initiative about ensuring that the content creators are are being held accountable. So the fact that you're actually saying, oof, we we need to be accountable. How, how can we be accountable? Well, first off, just acknowledging is important. And, and I feel like inclusion takes work, right? So 
the fact that you talked about going out, being more social is a way or, or meeting more people or connecting with different organizations. I think that's a way to hold yourself accountable, to recognize that most of our communities are homogenous. Most of the folks who live around each other look like each other, right? So there are very few places in the United States that are, let's say, racially diverse, right? And if they are racially diverse, typically communities of folk live with people that look like them, right? So how can we think about ways to align ourselves with organizations, you know, and maybe that's something that you can think about. How can you align yourself with, you know, organizations that are similar to yours that are doing similar work that have um, predominantly people of color, right? Um, What types of conversations can you have over a cup of tea? What type of ideas can you share with each other where, you know, you're more open. I think that's a great way to hold yourself accountable. You know, maybe having the way that you have deadlines with your work and the productions that you're doing, maybe have deadlines around inclusion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's great. I don't (laughs) like every quarter you're going to think about a particular um, organization or group of people that you'll talk to. Maybe it's going to the homeless shelter, or maybe it's talking to some students who were dreamers, or maybe it's, you know, the list, the list goes on. Again, I think it's great because many of us who do the work of advocacy and activism find it exhausting when institutions and folks who are, you know, hold power don't want to hold themselves accountable. So, you know, it is refreshing to hear you say, hey, you know, what can we do? So I hope that was helpful. That was really very helpful. helpful. Very clear ideas. Mm -hmm. I'm also just curious too, I mean, you do so much assessment of media and and race and gender intersection. For you personally, if you could make like one request of content creators or like, what do you want to see more of? Or what what do you want to see less of? This is so broad. It's probably a big list. No, no, yeah, it's a a big list, but just... I just want to see people more thoughtful about including women and including people of color. I'm on a campus that is very diverse. We pride ourselves in diversity. And, you know, I can't tell you the number of times there'll be a panel discussion and everyone is white on the panel discussion, right? And, you know, I attended a particular webinar and while there were supposed to be women on the panel, women of color on the panel, they were only men, mm-hmm. right? And so it's, you know, there were men of color, yay, but they were only men, you know? So I just, and I shared it with the person and I said, hey, I just, I'm looking for the women. And he said, I got you, you know, and I appreciate that. And sometimes that's all someone needs. So I would just say, just try to be more thoughtful. And if you feel like you can't align yourself with someone who identifies within a particular community that you are not involved with, you know, so we need men, 
male-identified folks to connect more with women-identified folk. And, you know, when you're running programs, when you're having initiatives, have some other voices in the room that don't sound like you and that don't look like you and that have different experiences. I I feel like it goes back to the cultural humility thing. Just acknowledge that you don't know everything and need other people. (laughs) Exactly. And I mean, I go through it. I mean, I'm a pastor. I started my own church uh, almost one year ago. April will be one year. It's called oh, Embrace. It's, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. It's a church that's open to all people, all identities, all backgrounds. And, you know, I'm doing quite a bit. Uh, my partner, my husband is great. He's He helps out a lot. However, I need yeah. some help. I need support, right? So I'm praying about it, trying to see who, but then I realize like, I'm going to have to like relinquish quite a bit because I can't do it all. Right. So I have a certain way of thinking and I'm a creative, I'm a producer in that space, you know, Um, but I need help. And I have to be able to trust that, you know, someone can have a similar vision. They'll have a different way of doing things, but that's okay. I don't have to have control over everything and I can bring some other thoughts and creatives into the space. So that's what I'm looking to do. And that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. So we're going to go to your, go to your class and go to your church. Yes. Yes! That's the takeaway. That's the takeaway. Do you have um, a website or like if let's say people want to track with your work or what you're doing? I know, you know, you're a professor and stuff, so people can't just access your class for free, you know, it's part of a university, but are there ways to find you on social media that we can link to in the show notes? Yes. Um, my LinkedIn is, uh, Vanita Rodman Jenkins. Um, yeah, it's easy to get me on LinkedIn and the church is on Instagram embrace church 2020. Great. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely love to follow anything that you do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you. It's been thank so you. enlightening. And and really, I love the practical tools you give, too. That's something we really wanted to mm-hmm. like hear about is just we have the heart to want to grow in this, but mm-hmm. you just need someone to kind of walk you through like, what are the logistics of representation, you know, from mm-hmm. a producing standpoint and from a media critical thinking standpoint too. So it's great to hear your perspective as a teacher and knowing you're actively working with students. And it makes me excited to see like, what are your students going to create because they've taken your class? I mean, I feel like there's going to be great stories down the road or short films and features sent your way that are connected (laughs) to to your class. It's really life. Wow. You know, like, thank you for that. Yeah. Well, I'm honored to be on your show. Um, I think podcasts are wonderful and you all are doing great work and um, keep it up. And thank you again for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. 